Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Friday, September 4th. My name is Paul Sickman from Knox Sports here in sweltering Tampa, Florida, and my co-host is Brandon Parks from the University of Tennessee and the Ball Network. Today, we're going to talk about sponsorship make goods and how they have taken over our collective lives. 2020 and our good buddy Mr. COVID has canceled games, canceled seasons, and even in the best case scenarios, given us 20% full stadiums. So every sports sponsorship partner on the Knox Sports roster, and probably every sports sponsorship partner on the Volunteer Radio Network partner, all over the country is awash in substitute inventory to try to make good with what has not been and will not be probably delivered. So whether it's evaluating a sponsorship or in this case evaluating a make good, we always start off in my company, and I'm sure Brandon does the same thing with all of his clients, with a simple question. What were the goals for your partnership at the beginning, and are these sponsorship make goods going to get you there? Welcome, Brandon. How you doing, bud? Hey, Paul. Uh, good to be on Rocky Top today. Um, I think your statement earlier, uh, taking over our world, uh, is probably putting it mildly. Uh, it feels like it is 24-7. COVID make good an impact. Uh, and I will tell you in my 20 year career, I have never gone through a period of time, a, sh a short period of time that has been as, as hectic and as complicated as we're dealing with right now, as far as sponsorship, how it relates to the college football season uh, and, and how it will impact us going into the fall. Uh, and I think part of the uniqueness of this conversation is the make good conversations that we're having that that i'm having at tennessee with our sponsors and like many properties across the country are having with you as an agency um, they're not finite and they're not concrete uh, because this this virus is something that's ongoing and while we may be having a conversation today and make it may get to a really good place on what our strategy is going to look like moving forward all that could be for naught if we get into October uh, and we have an issue with the virus and then football season is postponed or potentially canceled. So it's, uh, it's unlike anything that I've ever dealt with. Uh, I think it comes with significant challenges across the board. Um, but uh, we're all going through it together for the first time. I think we will come out of this in a better place. Uh, but I don't know if I've, I've faced anything as complicated as this, and I, I hope we can dive into some of the specifics on what makes it so complicated to execute sponsorship in a COVID world. Yeah, it, there's no doubt, Brandon. I mean, I just feel like I spent the last six months redoing contracts only to redo them again and redo them again with money hopefully not changing hands because ultimately the goal is to try to make this thing work for the client and make sure that their money actually worked toward their ultimate goal. And, and so we can redo and redo and redo, and, and that's what we've all been challenged to do. And we're not doing it just for the sake of trying to move money around. We're doing it to try to accomplish goals for clients. And ultimately, that's what both of our goals are, is that those sponsors out there that spend money in sports, they spend it for the right reasons. They spend it to take advantage of the passion of the fan and, and to be able to make that passion turn into business for them. And we just have to utilize the inventory that, that we have, the new inventory that's been created because of this, uh, and try to make it work. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. Um, I, I, yes, we should talk about specifics. I, I've actually got one kind of unique case um, that's happened really for us. We have, you know, as you do, we have a bunch of restaurants, and I'm not sure there's a category out there that's been more hammered by COVID than restaurants. And we have two restaurant chains that have treated this situation or have had this situation dealt them two incredibly different hands. We have one national chain 
that because probably they did not adjust as quickly as they should have in terms of doing takeout and delivery and that kind of thing, got absolutely hammered, um, closed stores all over the country, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they have, because of 25% capacity issues or 50% capacity issues in their restaurants inside whatever state it is, they are not able to really even take advantage of anything from a make good perspective that can be offered to them um, because they can't drive traffic. They can't put any more people in their store. So that is a, just a dead um, issue for them. Now, you say, okay, well, that, that didn't work. Well, now we've got another category. I mean, same, same category, restaurant. We have another national chain. They killed it in takeout and delivery. They reacted very, very quickly, um, did a great business. In fact, they're only down single digits during COVID, which is nuts. And they have actually tripled their spending in the states that they're here. The reason is because they are taking advantage of the situation and they know that they can utilize sports and the passion of sports fans to try to do promotions because that passion is not going anywhere. The passion is stronger than ever and maybe is like a pent up rocket waiting to explode. And so they're taking advantage of that by opening up concession opportunities, by opening up delivery specials, by taking advantage when this thing kicks off of what will be an incredible um, situation. So those make goods were really fun to work on because even though we don't have the in-stadium people or the in-stadium execution, all the make goods we did there were outside of stadium executions that are going to be awesome for that particular client. So anyway, a couple examples, Brandon, in a category. Yeah, and, and I've got, I have a, a restaurant story developing actually potentially as we speak today. Um, but g generally speaking, a couple of notes on COVID and its impact on college sports. In reality, when we sit down to have a sponsorship discussion about how this virus is impacting our clients, there's there's two key things we're gonna call them we're gonna call them negatives because I don't know anything else to call them. But uh, first of all, we are managing a regular season that's gonna have fewer games than is than is usually in a traditional schedule. So the majority of sponsors in college sports will buy a season long regular season schedule. So for Tennessee and the SEC, that's typically a 12 game regular season schedule. And as was announced, we are only gonna play 10 games. So when you dive into the sponsors, if they're buying your package on a season long basis, then essentially there's gonna be two games or, or a percentage, 15%, that's not gonna be able to be delivered based on the reduction in, in, in the schedule. Now, to add a layer of complication on it, uh, you have the reduced capacity at the game site. And so when you examine sponsors who are buying the LED signage and in-venue signage uh, within our facilities, they're buying it off of a Neyland Stadium, seats 100,000 people, and we're buying that 100,000 person audience. So when you come in and layer in a reduced capacity, we're expecting 25,000 in Neyland Stadium, uh, then you have to, it really, it almost takes a calculus degree. I hate to say it any other way, but we had to come up with a formula based on our sponsors and their investment levels to calculate while we're only gonna play five home games and it's only gonna be in front of 25,000 fans, there's still value being delivered. Because if, if this were a basketball game, 25,000 fans, that's a great audience. And we have a lot of sponsors that are involved in sponsorship within our basketball facility who are buying that 20,000 person audience on a game in and game out basis. So there is value there, but it's not at the value that, that 
sponsors are typically paying to gain access into our venue. So it becomes a complicated situation. And I will tell you at Tennessee, we have had to reach out to every single partner that we have, have an individual discussion based on their asset list, and then try to come up with that make good strategy where we're delivering and hopefully over delivering on their sponsorship investment so that when we do come out of this on the back end, um, we're gonna be in a good place moving forward. Now, we talked about in our last podcast about uh, the co how complicated COVID's impact on athletics departments were uh, when you start to peel back all the layers that are affected other than just the thought of not playing football. The same can be said in the sponsorship world. Uh, and, and my restaurant example is this. Uh, we have a weekly coaches call-in show that we do from downtown Knoxville. Uh, and it is then broadcast on the statewide Vol Radio Network. With the way that the Southeastern Conference has instituted all of the testing and then following CDC guidelines and so forth, obviously our football team, as much as you can be, is in a bubble. And while we talk a lot about the players and, and their testing, and hopefully they're not testing positive, uh, and then having to quarantine, and then as we get in season, do they miss games? The other real fascinating conversation, and I heard this in, in our local media yesterday, what if a coach were to test positive in the middle of the season? Does that mean the game goes on, that coach just can't be there and coaching on the sideline or from the box? Um, similarly, our head coach typically has participated in our, in our weekly radio show and has been on site in front of fans. So, you know, we may face a situation in the fall where, where Coach Pruitt is trying to stay in his bubble as much as he can because if we were to get in season and he were to test positive, then we could face a scenario where it's Alabama week and Tennessee's playing Alabama on October 24th, and then he can't be on the sidelines to coach the game. Uh, but from, from the sponsor perspective on the restaurant side, you know, part of their investment is knowing they're going to have the head coach on site. And so if you take away the head coach's appearance, we're still doing the radio show. And that becomes a very complicated conversation between us as the rights holder and then the sponsor, because you've got to come up with a strategy that everyone's comfortable with moving forward based on some of these deliverables that you can and cannot deliver. So it's, uh, again, it's the layers that keep peeling back on this that make it more and more complicated. You know what's interesting though is is and right and your your task is to find new inventory in a lot of cases because you're finding inventory that did not exist to make people happy, and and what has happened and we've seen all over the country is you know college has always been kind of the bastion of no signage the NCAA when they come in and do a tournament they'll take away everything you had initially but in college football especially most of the signage is not TV visible it's stuff that's made for the stadium uh, attendees and not necessarily for the TV audience you'll have the field goal nets and you have the uh, the medical tents and you'll have some maybe some signage on uh, on some personnel on the sidelines etc and Gatorade's on their little category for a while but the, the bottom line is it's not that the walls are not usually covered like a minor league baseball, and that's because it's beautiful, right? You got hedges and brick and beautiful sidelines, and you don't cover them up. Well, this year you're going to see every, every game you watch on TV that's going to be a, uh, a Power 5 game is going to have signage on the sidelines because they're making good everywhere they can. And I guess the question will be, is that a permanent solution? Because that revenue becomes new revenue in 2021, uh, you know, as opposed to make good revenue in 2020. 
So I don't know how you're dealing with it in Tennessee, Brandon, but we've certainly got tons of clients that never before had TV visible signage. They're going to have all kinds of it this year to try to make good on some impressions. That, that conversation for us really started back in June, really the 1st of June, when we were anticipating reduced capacity or no capacity. Uh, and it becomes more of a complicated discussion because uh, it's, it's not as simple as us going to the school and saying, we have all these partners that receive exposure on our LED ring and our video board. We're gonna have reduced capacity or no capacity. This is not TV viewable signage. So we just want to go ahead and commandeer all of this territory down on the field for TV. Uh, not nearly that simple. Uh, you do have to have a conversation with the school. And Tennessee is unique in the sense that Neyland Stadium, uh, from, a, from a marketing and a sponsorship perspective, um, I will tell you, we, we are very conservative in our nature um, just to... Um, treat a facility that has the age that it does and the history that it does the right way. Uh, and I'm a marketer and I'm a seller, but I also have a, a, a reverence and a respect for our facility and not to do anything. My, my, my old adage has been, I would never want my brother to walk in Neyland Stadium for the first game, call me on the phone and say, what on earth did you do to our stadium? Mm -hmm. um, so we've had to have meaningful discussions with the school and then you have to take that a step further. In our conference, the Southeastern Conference has to bless what those TV viewable plans are down on the field as well. Right. So, so that's been an ongoing conversation. Neyland Stadium will look different this fall. Uh, I think our strategy is, is going to be effective for our partners, but I think we're doing it in a way uh, that still respects the tradition of the facility. And you're right, it will be fascinating to see if we have created new inventory down the road that could become more permanent versus just being used as as an alternative to get us through this first year. And, and you know, it's funny, I think we both agree. I, I don't like it either. I mean, I, I'm glad that they've done it to make good for the people who really want impressions, uh, but I, I love the clean look of college stadiums uh, too. But anyway, in the same vein, but shifting a little bit, I know that your parent company, the uh, Learfield IMG folks, uh, had a, have a solution that is a digital solution um, to try to help uh, clients that have been damaged for in-stadium capacity issues, et cetera. And we've all known in the last five years, we've seen with social media and digital impressions and all the banners and what that has done to assist companies in achieving real goals. And a lot of our clients in, on the Knox Sports portfolio, they are looking for data. They're looking for names of potential clients. They're doing register to wins. They're doing opportunities to try to drive business. Uh, and, and so that data capture, which is driven with digital formats, probably most effectively, is the solution in a lot of cases. But here's the danger that I will pose, is that as this has been rolled out probably a year early for your company, this whole digital platform, but it's not, it's not living in a vacuum. There are social media promotions that have happened aggressively and more aggressively over the last three or four years. It's really the way that we operate right now. It's how we get our information. What I am a little scared of as a marketer, especially a sports marketer, uh, is if digital is wildly successful this year and we've got 15,000 people in the stadium and we run a campaign that is almost all digital and has very little stadium support and it destroys it, it kills it, doesn't that hurt us in the future or trying to sell in-stadium stuff? Great question. Uh, and and I, let me, I'll back up and say this relative to Learfield IMG College. Um, to our leadership's credit, just like we were having conversations at the school level to come up with solutions in our venue, 
Um, our leadership knew as a company representing 200 properties in the college space across the country, we had to come up uh, with a solution for our partners uh, and a solution that, that could almost be COVID proof. Uh, and I think that's why they gravitated to digital. Um, and, and to their credit, I think they, they have created a platform that while signage, field level signage for this year may be a one and done, I think this platform has a chance to live long, long beyond this. Um, and the unique, <clears throat> the uniqueness of it is they have figured out ways for us to essentially gather first party data from our fan base's perspective. Um, and to be able to tap into that. So if you're a buyer in the digital space and you're trying to reach Tennessee fans, uh, then you can do it. You can do a pretty good job from, from targeting demos, uh, geographic territories, uh, likes, dislikes, things like that. But the uniqueness of this is we are guaranteeing first party data because it's, it's data of, of fans who visit our website, who buy tickets from us, who shop at our online stores. Um, I do think you could say that it's the fancy new toy right now. Um, much like digital signage became a fancy new toy 10 years ago when we went from permanent fascia type signage to more digital LED signage. Um, I think both have a place to, to exist. Yeah. Um, and I think effective marketers will have both. Yeah, I agree with you. And I hope we don't ever go away from, you know, I love the, the in-stadium has a place, right? And it, it, that place may be... Um, it may change over time, but I think it still has a place. I think people remember what they see inside a facility, and they take that and they marry it with what they see on their phone as they're going home, and I think that's where it all works. I think we all agree with that. But I, I just think it's interesting because ultimately, again, you go back to goals. I'm going to say it over and over again. If your client, if all they want to do is impressions, well, it's easy for you and I to do our job and be able to deliver impressions. But that's not what most savvy sports sponsors want. They want a real deliverable. They want to say, I had this many more people that showed up at my store, or this many more people that came to my website, or this many. They need those metrics. And, and so it is important to deliver that and understand that everything we're doing is going down that path. One more kind of crazy, maybe offshoot result of this Make Good World, Brandon, is is this maybe the death of print, the final death of print? I mean, you can't have a program when you got nobody in the stands. You can't have a you you know your 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 ticket backs and your other print publication type pieces are uh, uh, this is this has been really bad for the print business this uh, COVID and 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 it's and so now having digital programs that you can deliver to a couple hundred thousand of your fans uh, is is a, is an effective tool as opposed to the the hard you know the old uh, uh, Navy Air Force guys uh, you know selling the programs outside the stadium you know that. <laughs> That is, uh, that is, uh, boy, it's a thing of the past now. So, I, I, you know, do you think this is finally the death of print in sports? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it a different way. I, I think, I think it's gonna be a digital expansion of the print product in sports. I think what you'll see moving forward is that we will all have publications that are digitally available. Um, but believe it or not, there are still those at the game site that want to take home that souvenir publication for their archives. And I, I'm going to give you a good example at Tennessee, what happened, what happened to us earlier this summer when the announcement was made that our tickets would be moved to, to, to digital tickets. Um, we had an outcry from a portion of the fan base that was upset about the fact that they would not have their physical hard copy ticket to put in the shoebox with the hundreds of other tickets that where they have attended UT sporting events uh, and something unique that we're going to do this year uh, to hopefully uh, 
cure some of the ill will around that. We, our, our ticket artwork had already been created for this season. So we are actually using it as an insert into the souvenir program. And so fans will have this perforated insert that'll have the generic ticket artwork on it. And while it may not get you into the stadium, they can tear that ticket out and say, that's my souvenir collectible in the form of my, my ticket. I will tell you the other thing on the print side that's happened to us uh, over the last few years, um, we have picked up significant distribution on newsstands. Uh, that seems to be doing and performing very well for us. Uh, and then also we've worked with our athletics department to, to offer it as a direct mail piece to our donors of the athletics department. So I will tell you, I think we've created, created alternative streams for it to keep it alive. This is what a seller says, folks. You're hearing Brandon selling what he can't give up. So I love it. Um, anyway, I mean, I think that from a from a, a make good perspective, it, this is just it, it's a challenge. I mean, you heard him. You heard Brandon say at the beginning. You heard me say at the beginning. This is six months of just trying to figure it out. And you're trying to figure it out in the most crazy circumstances. I mean, I, we have deals in Big Ten country where they have nothing right now. They are doing, you know, classic games on the radio and, and justifying it and trying to get fan involvement. Uh, and that is going to become really, really tough over the next month if the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 all kick off and you're sitting there in Ohio or Michigan or Minnesota or Indiana and your option is to listen to a 1994 great game or watch live football on TV, tough putt. I mean, I, I, I get it. Uh, I know they have to do the best they can do because they, they don't have any inventory, but make good world right now is everything. It's all consuming for us. And and uh, and the goal is ultimately, what does a client need to succeed? And if we can deliver this year, and Brandon's on one side of the fence and I'm on the other, if we can deliver something that achieves goals and objectives and gets them there, well, it also sets us up for some interesting conversations when it's time to renew. But ultimately, it gets us a chance to, to get through this year. And if the client wins, it's okay. It is. And, and I'll say this, a couple thoughts. Um, one, I think you hit on it earlier. I think there is, there is a real appetite, a real passion, and a real energy around college football starting in the fall again. And with that comes an audience size and maybe a larger audience size than we've had in the past. And so from a marketer's perspective, uh, who would not want to be in front of that audience? And, and the, the resounding answer that we have gotten from, from our sponsor uh, family is, if you guys are playing football, we want to be involved and we're going to figure out how to make it work. And you know that part of it is, is built around relationships. And, and, and I don't think it can be understated how important the relationships are on a day in and day out basis, especially when you when you're going through hard times, because uh, we are going through it together. But there are also opportunities that come out of this too, uh, and that's that's exciting because we will get beyond this. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, well, folks, we appreciate the listeners out there. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, this is uh, another edition of Knox Talk. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Mm -hmm.